Well, Lake Point, it's great to be back with you. What a powerful time of worship. If you have not officially connected to this family, I hope you stay for the pastor's reception right after this. This is a special place. Uh, it's great to be back with you, and I just want to say, Lake Point, thank you for your generosity, uh, which allowed Real Life to start our second campus in Austin just nine weeks ago called Real Life Hayes, and I want to thank you for that. And um, this is, Hayes is the second fastest growing county in America right now, and it's just south of downtown, and they just had their ninth week, well, it's on Easter Sunday, over 500 people were there at Real Life Hayes, so thank you guys for believing in us, for allowing us to, to step out. Here's the most exciting number, though. Are you ready for this? They had their baptism celebration last week. 20 people went public with their faith in Jesus Christ at a 10-week-old church. That's amazing. I want to keep this picture up for just a moment because this is only at real life. We are portable in both of our campuses in Austin, and we were concerned about the temperature, so we got a portable hot tub. <laughs> only at real life can you get baptized in a portable hot tub. Love it. Um, and uh, so thank you guys for believing in us, and that's memorable for sure. Uh, most of you guys recognize the game that's behind me. Uh, it's one of the most, uh, you know, beloved games, board games in American history, uh, Monopoly. I, I'm, I'm going to venture to guess most of you have started one of these games. Some of you haven't finished one, but you were excited about getting it going, and it's just a fun game to get started. Uh, and I'm going to just kind of guess also that your childhood might have been like mine, because I can remember us being excited about starting the game, and at some point, frustration setting in. Uh, and then someone would get mad at someone else, and disappointment would set in, and then somebody would turn over the game. It might have been me, but, you know, just so mad at the game, you know, just kind of mess up all the pieces. Today, I want us to look at a passage in the book of James that shows us that sometimes money and the money game can negatively affect our relationships. You say, well, Mike, are you telling me that money can negatively affect relationships? Yes, as a matter of fact, does anybody want to guess the number one thing that married couples argue about? The number one thing married couples argue about? Anybody want to guess? Money. Very good guess. Married couples argue about money more than any other topic. How about this one? Does anybody want to guess when people were surveyed last year who got a divorce last year, the number one reason why divorce happened? Does anybody want to guess the number one reason they gave? Money. Another good guess. 56% of those who got divorced last year said it was because of money. Money doesn't just affect married couples in a negative way, it affects all of us. And we'll see today that really money is the biggest cause of stress in all our relationships. And it's because, not, it's not money. The Bible says money's not good or evil, it's neutral. It's because we are taking the culture's view of money instead of God's view of money. And because of what culture is teaching us, they're teaching us a different way to look at money, and it's affecting our relationships in a negative way. And I want you to think about this, and I've actually got this on the back of your worship guide, but think about the lies that this game tells us. And I, I'm, I'm thinking that most of us are in trouble in America because we have learned how to deal with money from Monopoly. And Monopoly's lied to us because, listen, it's a fun game. Don't get me wrong. I, I got this game. It, it was just interesting. I, I don't know if you guys know this, but the new Monopoly game actually runs off of a credit card. You know this? It's crazy. Just load up with $6 million and get this game going. That's a whole other sermon, okay? 
but, but, but this is, so we have the old-fashioned one. We have the one with the, you know, the cash you put under the board. And, and uh, I've got four kids, and they're all teenagers now. And they're just starting to pick up on this because, uh, you know, they're like, Dad, growing up, you've always wanted Monopoly. But, Dad, you also were always the banker. Total coincidence. But anyway, hey, this game is fun. All right, but it's, it's, it's one thing to play the game. It's another thing, here's where we get it, here's the danger, is when we take the lies of the game and we actually, here's what's going on in America. People are playing Monopoly with real money and it's ruining relationships and damaging everything in our lives. And here's the lies. If you want to take notes, you can write them down, but just think about this. The first lie that this game tells us is the more money you have, the more happy you're going to be, right? I mean, definitely in the game, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I enjoy this game when I have money. All right, I have a lot of money stacked under the board. It's great. The more houses I have, the more land I have, the more hotels I have. It is awesome. I love having a lot of stuff in the game. But if we're not careful, we take that into life, and it's just not true in life. It's a lie that the culture in the game have told us. As a matter of fact, CNN did a recent study. Now, you guys know that CNN is not a conservative theological journal, right? Okay, CNN did an article. You can look it up on the web, and it's called How to Win the Lottery and lose it all. What they did is they interviewed all these people that won the lottery, and we think, well, hey, if you win the lottery, you're gonna be happy, you just get all that cash. And this is what they found, that 70% of all Americans who've had a major windfall, like winning the lottery, lost all of that money within a few years. And of those 70%, 100% of them said they were more happy before they got all that cash, and they're definitely happy now that it's gone. All that pressure of those finances is gone. So the game says the more money you have, the more happy you're gonna be, but it's just a lie. Here's another lie that culture, that the game tells us, that the more valuables you have, the more valuable you are. Think about it. You're just valuable if you have stuff. Now in the game, that might be true. We all know we need to be nice to the guy that owns Boardwalk. And especially if he's got a hotel on it, we wanna take him out to lunch, okay? He's a lot more valuable in the game than this poor soul who owns Mediterranean Avenue. Who wants that? Okay? And so in the game, we're taught that, you know, what, what stuff you have means more, more value. But if we're not careful, we take that into life, don't we? Think about it. Uh, adults, we're, we really struggle with this. You know, we see someone who has a certain emblem on their car. And wow. Now that's an emblem. That's a really cool car. That's... I don't even have an emblem, you know? Uh, so, so it's like the people who have a certain emblem, all of a sudden that family is more valuable than another family because of the logo, you know? Now we're all glad that Jordan Spieth won the Masters and everything, 21 years old, great, great feet and everything, but uh, you know, Under Armour is now selling off the shelves. Why? Because now you gotta have something that has Under Armour on it because it makes you more valuable and maybe you'll wear a green jacket one day or something. Did you know that teenagers are struggling with this? Now, the stress that's on kids is not even coming from school. It's coming from the pressure of what others have at school. There was a recent study done, and what it determined is, is that the pressure on students is now boiled down to two things, shoes and phones. Now, think about this. If you walk into school, and you've got a $50 pair of shoes on, and your friend's got a $200 pair of shoes on, guess who's more valuable? All of a sudden, students feel the pressure, like, I need to get better shoes, more expensive shoes, because that makes me more important. And then what about phones? I mean, phones. You know, just think about it. You've got an iPhone 4, and everybody else in your friend circle has got an iPhone 5. Guess what that means? That means you are more horrible than they are, okay? 
They've all got fives. And then somebody joins that friend group that's got an iPhone 6 and they mess the whole thing up. <laughs> then somebody shows up and they've got one of those iPhone 7s. That's actually not out yet. <laughs> but I could feel the pressure in the room, couldn't you? The stress. There's a 7? <laughs> Gotta go to the store after this. See how subtle that is? And, and I hope you don't miss this today, but no matter who you are or where you've been, no matter what kind of shoes you walked in here with, no matter what kind of phone that you own, no matter what you drive or where you live or the color of your skin or where you're going to go home to, you are valuable because of Jesus Christ and his blood and sacrifice and because of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, period. That's your value. Now, we all know that, and I hope you hear that. If you haven't ever heard that before, your value, you are priceless before God. But so many of us are tied up in the game, and we're buying into the lies that this game has taught us and that culture is pressuring us. So here's another lie. If you get stuff, then it makes you more secure, and you're definitely more satisfied. Now, definitely maybe in the game that's true. I mean, I don't know about you, but I like playing the game when I've got a lot of stuff. And, and several times in this game, my strategy is, is to own land on every side of the board. And when, I'm, when I do that, I feel so secure in this game. I'm like, oh, you, you're, you're going to get in trouble anywhere you land because I own every side of the board. But when we take that into life, it's very, very dangerous. Because if we think, hey, look, I've got great security. Why do you, why do you know that? Well, because I've got money in the bank. Because look, I've got a security system at my apartment or my house. Hey, look, look at this car. I, drive. I live in a gated community. I, I drive the safest car on you know, Consumer Reports. But if, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, by the way. It's just when we think those things make us secure. And definitely when we think those things really bring true satisfaction. That's the danger of the game. And that's why James, we're about to see, is really fired up about getting us away from the game. Here's one more lie, though. Whoever has the most stuff wins the game. And that's definitely true in the game, right? I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, hey, that's how you win. You read the instructions. That's why most of us don't get to the end of the game, because we didn't win. But, but it's like, if you can just get more stuff, you get more land, more houses, more, more hotels, more stuff, then you win. But in life, that's just not true, is it? Think about this. Fast forward to the very end of your life. Is it really the winner, the person who has the most stuff? Does it really matter at the end of your life, all the money, all the houses, all the hotels, whatever you own? It's like an old preacher that I grew up under would say, you'd never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Think about it. You can't take it with you, so therefore, the winner of the game is not necessarily the one who has the most stuff at the end. That's why James is so fired up, because in James chapter five, I hope you'll look at it with me, in James five, he's gonna say, step away from the game. And it's a game changer, because James is fired up to say, we need to move away from the game and get in on God's way to handle money. He's saying, step away from the game, because what was happening to James is what's happening today. Remember, James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he didn't just become a follower of Jesus, he became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And this letter is to his church and all the Christians of his day and all of us today. And what was happening in James's day is what's happening today is people were putting money ahead of God. And they were saying that their relationship with money was more important than their relationship with God and definitely more important than their relationship with others. And James is so fired up to say, step away from the game, step away from culture, and get in on God's way. Let me show you how fired up he is. Look at James chapter 5. 
And he's just telling him, hey, go God's way on this. Don't step back away from the game. Look at verse 1. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Like, wow, Mikey, you aren't kidding. I mean, he really is fired up here. I mean, he's really getting on to these rich people. Uh, listen, well, he's just getting started. We'll get the rest of these verses here. But, but I hope you don't miss this. And here's the big idea. I've got it in your notes, but I want to put it on the screen for you. This is not James getting on to rich people. Here's the big idea. God is not opposed to wealth. God is opposed to misuse of it. And that's a big, big difference. God's not opposed to people who have money. He's opposed to us when we don't put him first and we handle it the world's way and we don't step away from the game. So I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, in verse one, he says he's talking to rich people. I am so glad I came today because I am not rich. This message is not for me. This passage isn't for me. Well, most of you uh, don't know that our fourth child, my wife and I, we actually adopted from Africa. And six years ago, it changed everything in our lives because we went over to West Africa up to the northern part of Ghana, and we saw the village where our son grew up, where his dad died when he was two years old, where his mom abandoned him. We saw the village where he had malaria several times and struggled with bouts of starvation. We got to go to a village where there was no running water, no electricity, one doctor for every 183,000 people. And my son's taught me a lot because I, I just, we brought him to America. I'll never forget when we landed in London on the way to America, he rode his first airplane, and, and in London they have those elevators that are glassed in, and he looked up and he said, Dad, what are all those people doing in that box? He said, elevators going up and down, he just, he's processing everything. We got him home and I went to the refrigerator in our small house, three-bedroom house, and I, and I got a glass and I, and I put it to the door of the refrigerator and that water started coming out, and he watched, I said, this is how we get water. And I'll never forget his next question. Dad, how often can I do that? How many times a day can I do that? He's taught us so much. Because all of a sudden I realized that in his village, people make less than a dollar a day. And since we've adopted him, I've come to learn that 80% of everyone on this planet makes less than $1 a day. So that means that we here in America, no matter what we make, even if we're on welfare, are loaded. So I want you to turn to your friend right now. This will be fun. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are rich. Just tell him, you are rich. That's fun, wasn't it? Yeah. You are. You are. You're rich. So that means James is speaking to all of us. Welcome back to the message, okay? But being rich isn't the problem. Being rich isn't the problem. It's how we deal with it. So let's don't do the game's way. Let's don't follow the rules of culture. Let's get on God's way. Look at verse 2. Your wealth is rotting away, he says. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold is silver and corroded. Watch this. The very wealth you were counting on. You've been counting on wealth. Don't do that. Don't count on money and stuff. It's just going to eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure. Watch this. You've hoarded it. It's going to testify against you on the day of judgment. He's saying step away from the game because the game says get it, get more of it, get the stuff, and that's how you win. He's saying step away from the game. That's not how you win at life at all. He's saying don't hoard the stuff. Speaking of hoarding, has anybody seen that show, Hoarders? Wow, it's just, just my, my family's all into it. I can't even make it through an episode. It's just so sad, you know? Some person just gets, uh, you know, enamored with certain things and they start loading it, their house up with stuff. Their rooms get filled and their garage is filled and everything in their house gets filled. And so there's just a little pathway going through their house 
And we all know, it's like, hey, hoarding isn't the way to go. Don't hold on to the stuff. Stop hoarding it. That's what James is saying here to all of us. Stuff and holding on to it's a dead end road. Look at verse 4. He says, listen, exclamation point, hear the cries of the field workers who've been cheated out of their pay, the cries of those whose harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. So Micah, finally I'm off the hook. This verse has nothing to do with me. First of all, I don't own own any fields and I don't have any field workers. Now, I made my seventh grader mow the lawn this week, but that is it. I mean, that's all, so surely this verse isn't for me. But I want you to notice that word cheated. It literally means to cut corners. And just ask yourself, as only God can reveal it, where am I cutting corners and not putting things where they are owed? Now, we all just did our taxes, just saying, okay? So where am I cutting corners? Am I, am, I, am I not being quite as honest as maybe I should? I read this week that one out of 11 Americans last year shoplifted something from their office or a store that wasn't theirs, which cost $33 billion to industry. He's saying don't cut corners, don't cheat. Look at what else he says in verse 5. He says, you've spent your years, don't miss this, you've got a limited amount of resources and you're spending that time and that money on you. You've spent your years, all of them on earth, in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You fatten yourselves for the day of slaughter. What's he saying here? He's saying, James is saying, listen, don't get to the end of your life and go, wow, I listened to the culture and listened to the game and I got all the stuff and now I realize that isn't what life was all about. That isn't what I was supposed to be doing. That isn't, as he says, is all about you and your every desire. Don't get to the end of your life, James says, and say, you know what? It was all about me. All my time was about me. Look at where I went. Look at what I did. Look at what I drove. Look at where I lived. Look at how much money I had. Look at all my financial success. And now I get to the end of my life and realize, you know what? I was playing the wrong Game. He's saying step away from the game. Go God's way. Look at what else he says in verse 6. He says, um, you've condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Now, you fi- finally, I found a verse that has nothing to do with me. I have not killed anybody, at least in the last 10 years. I, just, I have not done that, okay? So, but notice this word condemned. In the original language, that word literally means to walk by a need that you know you can meet and God prompts you to be generous toward and you don't meet it. It's literally walking by something that you feel prompted to do but you withhold from it. And that would just almost apply to any of us. It's like being at Lake Point, hearing about all the mission efforts you guys are involved in, hearing about churches in Africa that are helping orphans and villages and saying, you know what, I'm hearing about that need but I'm not gonna give to missions. Not just internationally or or overseas. What about right here? Did you know that Lake Point has over a 1,000 teenagers every weekend gathering at one of the campuses of Lake Point? Last year, Lake Point took over 1,600 teenagers to camp. And it's hearing that and saying, wow, listen to that kind of impact on the culture of reaching the next generation who's not the church of tomorrow but the church of today. But saying, you know what? I'm not going to give to the general fund of Lake Point. Why? Because, well, middle schoolers can't resist you. Orphans in Africa can't resist you. James is saying there's a different way. Step away from the game. Make it a game changer day and say, you know what? I'm going to follow God's way. There's a different plan. There's a different approach. There's a different way. And James is so fired up because he says, step away from this game and see what God would do. 
You see, what happens to this game after you play it? What, what, what do you do with this game? After this game, what happens? You, somebody walks by and just puts it all back in the box, don't they? Somebody puts it all back in the box. And James is saying, listen, because it's all going to go back in the box, you can do things a different way and approach money God's way. You say, Mike, are you telling me that the Bible says stuff about money? Did you know that the Bible talks more about money than any other topic? It's because money, it can be the root of all evil because it can affect all things in a negative way. But it also, when it's in the right priority, can be a way to honor God and honor others in a way that's unbelievably exponential and fun. And for the rest of our time that we have left, I just want to share with you four things the Bible says about how to handle money and step away from the game. And I believe some of you are doing maybe many of these, but I believe one of these is really going to stick out to you. Hold on to that one. We need to do all four, but hold on to that one. Here's the good news. Of the things the Bible tells us to do with money, we can all do them. Young or old, doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, the younger you are in this room, the better off you are to get started. No matter how much money you have, this isn't about that. Everyone can do something. And listen, no matter how many mistakes you've made, this isn't about that. Today, starting today, I'm going to handle money God's way. So here's four things. The first one is, I'm going to start saving. The Bible says to save our money and put money aside. You say, Mike, I already know that, but did you know that statistics tell us that one-third of all Americans didn't save anything last year? Very dangerous place for our country to be. As a matter of fact, the same article said 35% of Americans spent more last year than they actually made. That's a whole other sermon. Just say, you know what, I'm going to start saving. I'm looking forward to the Proverbs series that you guys are starting this summer, but let me share with you a few Proverbs as we walk through this. Proverbs 21 says this. The wise man saves for the future. But watch this. The foolish man spends whatever he gets. So if you're going to take notes or just think in your mind, I would ask you to write down this number 10%. 10% is a great goal to say, I'm going to start saving something. I'm going to, I'm going to make it a goal to save 10% of what God brings to me. So Micah, there's no way I could get to 10% right now. Save something. Start somewhere. I would encourage you just to save $20 a week. Did you know if you save $20 a week and put it in some kind of very conservative interest rate fund, did you know in 40 years you'll have over $400,000? $20 a week. The scripture says save some of what God gives you. Let it grow. Here's another one. Maybe yours is going to be, I'm going to make it honestly. James over and over again in this passage says, we need to stop cutting corners. And and, and this means different things to different people. But basically, I'm going to work hard at whatever God's called me to do. Look at what Proverbs 28 says. Work hard, and you'll have a lot of food. Waste time, and you'll have a lot of trouble. Sums it up, doesn't it? There's our options. Work hard or waste time. And what's going to happen in a a moment is we're going to dismiss this service and we're going to unleash the church, which is you, out into the community. And what you do for a living is no less important than what I do. All of us have a calling. And whatever your calling is, go do it for God's glory and work hard at it. Be the best student you can be. Be the best mom you can be. And for the glory of God, walk into your office and into your workplace and say, I'm going to work hard and I'm not going to cut corners. And I'm going to honor God with what I do. Do. Maybe that's going to be your choice today. Here's another one. I'm going to spend it wisely. You can start today and say, I'm going to start spending wisely. And I want you to write this number down somewhere, 80%. So you've got 10% to save. 80% is, I'm going to, I'm going to try to live on 80% and I'm going to honor God with that. 
I, I grew up in church, so I heard about the tithe, and, and that really wasn't a problem for me because I started so young. But it took a while to understand that God is actually concerned about all the rest of it too. Did you know that Jesus wants to go to Walmart with you? He does. Your spouse may not want to, but he'd, he'd love to. <laughs> Jesus would love to go to Costco with you. Because when you go there, you can say, you know what, Jesus, should we really buy 16 rolls of paper towels right now? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, what do you think, Jesus? Do you know that Jesus wants to go to the car lot with you? To sit down and go, what kind of car, Jesus, could I, what, what, what would really make sense here? Because when you start doing that, did you know that Jesus wants to download iTunes music with you? It only costs 99 cents. But should I really hit download, Jesus? What do you, how should I spend this dollar? You see, when you start looking at it that way, life gets really fun. Look at Proverbs 10, verse 16. It says, the earnings of the godly enhance their lives. What you have has been given by God, and he says, I want you to enjoy it, because evil people, they just squander their stuff and their money on sin. God wants you to enjoy life, and what you have has been given to you to enjoy it. But let me tell you, when you enjoy it is when you get God involved in all of it, because that's where James is saying we need to be. Here's one final choice that maybe needs to be yours today, and that is, I'm going to give freely. Starting today, I'm going to be a generous person. I think this is one of the ones that we really struggle with the most because it goes against the game, doesn't it? The game says to get. The game doesn't say to give. I need to get, 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 get. But God says, no, give, give, give. And here's one more number to write down, and that's just 10%. God wants us to save 10%. That's a great goal. To, to live on 80% and to at least give 10% back to the storehouse, which is the church. You're like, well, Micah, I, I don't know if I could give 10% right now with my financial situation. Start somewhere today. Did you know if you give $20 a week to your church, you know what will happen over 40 years? You'll have ended up giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to your church. Can you imagine that conversation 40 years from now? 40 years from now, you can have somebody come to you and say, hey, have you been generous to Lake Point? Well, yes, I have. I've given hundreds of thousands of dollars to this church. Really, write a big check? Nope, $20 a week. Decided that 40 years ago. I'm gonna do something. Look at what the scripture says about how God blesses you. Proverbs 11. Give freely and become more wealthy. That goes totally against the game. Give and you'll get. But be stingy, just make it about getting. Hey, you'll lose the game and you'll lose everything else. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. We see people who give actually get more. And I believe this, one of the reasons why we struggle with this is we listen to the game and we get so narrow focused on this that we forget what it's all about. It's really all about eternity. We get narrow focused and say, I'm going to win this week. I'm going to win this year. The next 20 years, I'm going to win. And we forget we can't take it with us. Went to the hospital room uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, one of the people coming to Real Life Austin, their dad was really struggling in the hospital, gone in for knee surgery, but ended up having a stroke, and then six hours later having a heart attack. Happens to less than 1% of people. I went to that hospital room at 2 o'clock in the morning, packed full of family. And did you know that as I ministered to them for over an hour, I still don't know what that guy did for a living? That was never discussed. I have no idea what he had in the bank. I don't even, nobody even said, hey, let me tell you what kind of car he just drove up to the hospital in. Nobody talked about where he lives. It was all about more important things, and we know that, don't we, in those moments that it's really not about the stuff. That's when we really connect to James and go, oh, yeah, 
I really was listening to the game, and yeah, I can be generous because I have a picture of eternity, and I can't take it with me, but I can send it on ahead of me. You see, today I want to close with two questions that all of us can ask, no matter what your age or how much you have or don't have. And here's the two questions. First of all, ask yourself, what do I have? What do you have? Let God show you what you have in your talents and time and treasure. And then ask this question, what am I supposed to do with it? And if you really wrestle with that this week and even today before you go to bed, just say, you know what, what do I have? What does God want me to do with it? I believe God's going to show you some incredible things. I believe maybe some of you are going to say, you know what, I'm going to start saving. Today's going to be that day I start doing that. I'm going to start working hard wherever I go to work and being a good parent, whatever I do, being a good student. Maybe for you it's like, you know what, I'm going to spend the money that I have left over after giving and saving in a God-honoring way. Just get God in on that so I can enjoy it more and those relationships are growing. Maybe you're going to decide, you know what, I'm going to start being generous. And let me just say to you, Lake Point, you are a generous church. Real life is one of so many recipients of that generosity that you have. But I also want to say, in a room this size, there are some of you, and you have not gotten in on the generosity of your own church. You are living vicariously through the generosity of the church and celebrating that, but you've been coming here for years and never leaned in and said, I'm going to do something radical for God, and I'm going to give of a, a big blessing of what God's blessed me with. See, some of us need that refreshing, even though we've heard the story so many times. That's one of the refreshing things about being in Austin. Just think about it. We have over 1,500 people coming just to the Austin campus. Half of them have received Christ in the last two years. It is a fun group to be with, okay, because they have heard no stories. And so a few weeks ago, I was talking about Zacchaeus. They're like, wow, this short man, what's, what's his man? They're like, wow, this is great. And I was talking about Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus, remember the story? He was loaded. He had a lot of money. And did he get into the crowd? Or No, he didn't have any friends. You know why? Because he won the game. That's one thing this game does tell us the truth, right? Do you think about this. Does anybody like the person who wins this game? If you win this game, your family will not talk to you for hours. Maybe days. It depends on how, you know, how, how mean you were at the game. And Zacchaeus, that was Zacchaeus. Like, oh, Zacchaeus won the game. Get your own shoulders to stand on, Zacchaeus. There's a tree over there. You can go over there, man. We don't care about you. You won the game. And Zacchaeus is in the tree. Jesus comes by, and Jesus connects with him and goes home with him. You remember what happened, don't you? Zacchaeus didn't sit down and say, okay, now explain to me 10, 80, 10. 10% save, 10% give. I'm going to get in on that, Jesus. What did he do? Radical life change. He stood up in front of Jesus and everybody else and says, Jesus, today I want you and everyone to know I'm going to give away 50% of everything I own. Wow. Remember what Jesus told him? Today salvation has come to your house. Today you found what salvation really means. It means to get in on this radical expression of generosity to God because it's not about the culture and the game. So much bigger than that. So, Michael, that's a nice story, but that only happens in the Bible. I'm telling you what, I see it all the time, but I want to tell you one story I got permission to tell. Because after I told that story about Zacchaeus, a guy who'd been coming a few weeks but hadn't been to church for 17 years walks up to me. says, Pastor, I need to give you something. And he handed me the title to his car. You may say, well, Mike, I can hand you the title on my car, too. I got a 1970 truck, doesn't even run. I'll give you a title. It's, well, it's not very impressive. That's, I know you say that. That's why I want to show you a picture of it. It's actually a 911 Porsche, and it's a vintage one. We found out later there's only five cars in the country with less mileage than his in this, in this uh, model year. 
And, and when he gave that, he said, here's what I want to do. Will you help some of those churches in Africa you've been telling me about, some of those kids there? And then, but really the main part of it, I just want to help teenagers because we meet in a high school and we're trying to reach that high school for Christ. And when I was a teenager, nobody told me God loved me. What if I had found that earlier? He said, would you use this to help them? Well, listen, it was everything in me not to get in this car Especially when he told me that it would go 0 to 60 in 3.6 seconds, all right? I just wanted to see that for myself, experientially. I just knew that if I got in it, though, somebody was going to see me driving through Austin and be like, yeah, there goes another church planner, squandering God's money. So I, I didn't do that. We sold it real, real quick, real quick. And I, I want you to know that... Um, Friday night, two days ago, uh, we're standing in Bowie High School where we meet, and we have a youth event that was largely put on because of his generosity. Hundreds of students packed this gym, and 31 teenagers got saved Friday night. So we want Jesus in our lives. Awesome. <laughs> Powerful. And I wish you could have been there because he was standing right next to me in the back of the room. I leaned over and said, Chad, was it worth it? Oh, yeah. He said, it had been worth it for one, because that would have been me. Because nobody told me this, but now 31 kids have the chance that I didn't have, because now at my age, I'm finally learning to step away from the game. And, and this is what he literally told me, word for word, I quote, Micah, I am so tired of storing up treasures on earth. I'm ready to really store up treasures in heaven. I know what you may be thinking. You say, well, Micah, I don't have a Porsche to give. Well, here's the good news for you. If you don't have a Porsche, God's not going to ask you to give one. You're welcome. So let's go back to the questions. What do you have? And what are you supposed to do with it? And just think about what would happen if everyone listening to me in this room saw Jesus Christ not as just the savior of their sin and forgiver of their souls, saw Jesus not as just the way to heaven that we're trusting our eternity in, but what if everyone listening to me said, Jesus, you're also gonna be the king and Lord of my finances. Exponential things can happen, and I can't wait to see what God will do through you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and how relevant it is. And I pray right now for everyone listening to me. I ask God if there's anyone in this room that is far from you, that they would know it is not about what they can give, but what has been given for them. And I ask that today they would give the most valuable thing they own, their heart to you. And I pray that they would trust you to be their savior of their sins and also, God, the one who is the way to heaven. But for those of us who know you today, I ask that we would be honest with ourselves we would reflect on our lives and that today you would give us wisdom and courage to step out in a greater way toward generosity. And Father, thank you for what you're going to do in the days ahead through this generous church called Lake Point. As more and more people get in on that generosity, may you bless everyone here with your grace and mercy and peace. And we thank you for the greatest gift, who is Jesus Christ. Amen.